But looking at this man, Jonah, for all of his faults and failures, and the relationship that he has with God, between him and God. Jonah's a pretty well-known Bible character. If you've grown up in church, and children's church, it's a famous kind of Bible story that uh, they like to use. It's very vivid and has a lot of cool illustrations to go with it. Uh, he's pretty famous, of course, mostly for his unique experience with a fish that uh, I think is unique only to him. That is, as far as I know, at least in the Bible. And as we go through this story, we want to be pulling out some principles, some ideas, some things that we can be learning from his example. Jonah has a lot to teach us. There's a lot we can learn from in this book because he demonstrates a few positive examples of what we can do in our response to God but he gives more than a few examples of what not to do, the wrong way to go when it comes to listening to God's will and his call and his purpose for our lives. Jonah is a good example of what not to do. Last week we looked at how God called Jonah by name. He says, Jonah, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go to Nineveh. He gives them a specific task to achieve, a purpose He's given his calling, at least for that season of his life. It's something that we as Christians long for most of the time. God, what am I supposed to do now? What am I supposed to do in this season of my life? What do I do when, I, when I'm done with my studies? What do I do when, I, when, I'm, when this, job, uh, this uh, job training is over? What do I do next? Where am I supposed to go from here? What am I supposed to be doing now? And here's Jonah, who's given exactly what God wants him to do, and he chooses to run away because he doesn't want to do what God's calling him to do. He doesn't like it. He says, no thanks. And the key theme of this book that I see, I think, most prominently is God's compassion and that God's compassion is boundless. It knows no bounds. God will show compassion and love on whoever he wants to show compassion and love on. And yet Jonah didn't want to answer God's call on his life because of what God was telling him to do. God had given him the call to go to Nineveh and to preach repentance to the people. To give them the opportunity to choose God over their rebellion. To choose God over their sin. And he didn't want to see them forgiven. He didn't want to see Nineveh come to repentance. He wanted to see them destroyed. And he knew who God was. We looked at it at the end of the book. He, after he finally does answer God's call, he goes to Nineveh and he sits and waits and hopes that God destroys them, but God doesn't. And he says, I knew you would do this, God. Before I left home, I knew that you were, you're compassionate and loving and slow to anger. All these horrible things that we know about God. And he says, I knew that you were like that. And I knew that you would show that even to my enemy. And so he rebels against God. He doesn't want to answer this call because of, he knows what it will mean. And Jonah's a prophet, so he's running from God, but he knows that it's not the best way to go. He knows it's not going to end well from him, for him. And we looked at last week that running from God gets us nowhere in the end, and actually all it really does is separates us from him. It separates us from who God is and who God is trying, how God is trying to connect with us. And although, of course, God doesn't really go anywhere. God never is really far away from us. 
but we, through running from him, choosing to say no to God in whatever situations we might find ourselves in, we feel further from him, whatever it might be, in the small things or the big things, whether it's God telling you to go to Berlin and make the whole city repent, which would be the equivalent of what God was telling Jonah to do. Let's be a pretty big task. Or if he just tells you to pray for somebody that maybe puts someone on your heart to pray for that you're not very fond of or to go and speak and love on somebody, to do something generous and compassionate for somebody that you don't really know well or don't connect with and out of fear or doubt or whatever it might be, you choose to say no and this is an an idea or an aspect of running from God. So when we last saw Jonah, he's running. He got on a boat to sail in the exact opposite direction of where God had told him to go. God told him to go to Nineveh, which was inland, and he went to the sea and started to go across, so in the exact opposite direction. And God sent a great storm on the ship, and Jonah, at this point, could have repented, but he didn't. He could have cried out to God, but he chose to be the special kind of stubborn that he tends to be, and Instead, he has the, throw, the sailors throw him overboard into the sea. He knows why the storm is there. He knows what's going on. And the sailors knew too. It says at the end that he had explained everything that was going on to them. He thinks, that choosing, that he thinks he's choosing death here. Because it was the middle of the Mediterranean Sea. It was stormy. Being thrown overboard... There, there was no other option but death. So when he had them throw him overboard, he was choosing death. I'd rather die than obey God in this situation. But to me, very comedically, God had other plans for Jonah. So depending on your translation, some of you might have German translations with you, turn to Jonah one seventeen, or if you're reading a German Bible... Chapter 2, verse 1. I don't know why, but they're different. And we're going to read where we left off last week. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now this is remarkable and pretty unbelievable. I mean, first of all, let's just think about this logistically. Can you imagine being in the belly of a fish? or a whale, whatever it might have been. I mean, really being in the belly of anything doesn't sound that great. But fish don't even smell good on the outside. And he was in there for three days and three nights. Now this is where a lot of people get hung up on this book. This is the more, the, one of the harder parts to grasp. It's where a lot of people tend to struggle with the reality of what this book might actually be. And because of this, there are a few theories of what the book of Jonah really is. And so I think I want to take just a little bit of time to explore some of these. Uh, I find this really interesting. I love getting in deeper into the text, getting in deeper into kind of the ideas of what the text is and what the ideas that people have about the text. So I hope you guys find that equally refreshing and interesting. So one theory about the book of Jonah is that the whole book is actually just a metaphor or an analogy of some sort for something. And this does fit, of course, with the Bible. We see the Bible is full of parables, full of uh, analogies and 
all throughout scripture, we see this kind of imagery used. But I'll be very clear that I don't believe that about the book of Jonah. I believe there's far more evidence that this story is, in fact, historical. I'll give you three short, quick reasons why I think this book is historical. One is that the book is, the way the book is written, the, the way that the story is laid out and formatted is exactly like the other books that we know to be historical. For instance, the, books of, the book of Kings, the two books of Kings, the two books of Chronicles. In fact, the, the wording and even the grammar is almost identical to what we see in First and Second Kings in the historical sense. The second thing is that the book deals with real people and places that are mentioned elsewhere in the Bible. And if it was a metaphor or an analogy, that would most likely not be the case. They wouldn't use real people to build the analogy. Not that there is analogies within real stories, but that it would be only an analogy seems to be unlikely. As Jonah is, was a prophet, he was uh, during the uh, time of King Jeroboam II, and that's found in 2 Kings. And Nineveh, we know, is a real place. It was one of the larger cities in the Assyrian Empire. And so also mentioned, both of these are mentioned elsewhere in the Bible. So it deals with real people and real places, which makes it unlikely to be simply an analogy. And the third reason that I think strikes me the most is that Jesus treats this story as history. He references this story as, and mentions Jonah in Matthew, which we'll read in a moment, as fact, as a real person that really lived historically, and that, uh, and even bringing up specifically him being in the fish for the three days. And in that, Jesus even likens the story to his own death and resurrection, being three days buried in the ground and then rising from the dead. So I believe this story is, in fact, historical. And that it really did, as unbelievable as it is, and can be for us to wrap our brains around, if you've ever been around fish or tried to breathe underwater, that this actually did happen miraculously. But even in that, there's still two big theories about what actually took place. The first is that Jonah lived three days in the belly of a whale or a fish. And the word fish here in Hebrew is the word uh, for any type of sea-dwelling creature, especially a large sea-dwelling creature. And so it could have been, it could be interpreted as whale or fish. It's different translations do that differently. And some would say that it's much more plausible that it would have been a whale. And with that in mind, I want to share an interesting folklore. Maybe some of you have heard this that, have, that are just really diehard Jonah fans. But there's like a, an interesting folklore that goes back uh, to the 1900s. It's an old one. And I, this story wasn't proven. I'm just going to relay it to you. Just going to, you know, pass it on. And uh, it comes from the Falkland Islands, which is a group of islands off the southern tip of South America. And the story goes that during this whaling expedition, there was, there was a ship. They were out whaling, and the, the whale hit the side of the boat really hard, and a man that was standing close to the edge fell off into the water. It was night. The waters were a bit rough. They looked for him. They couldn't find him. And so at that point, they just decided he must have drowned. There's, there's nothing we can do. And so they went on with whaling. And you might guess where this story is going. 
Later, the men from the ship, they end up capturing that whale. And uh, as it was a particularly hot day, that day they immediately were cutting up the whale. And 15 hours after uh, his name was James Bartley, uh, the man who fell into the water, after he had uh, been pronounced dead and drowned, and they had kind of given up on him as they're cutting into the stomach of the whale, they found him. They found him inside the whale, still alive, unconscious. Most versions of the story say that he was unconscious or in a coma or some, of some state, but still breathing, and after a few weeks was back in good health, apparently. I'm not making this up, although somebody else might have been making this up back then. I don't know. There were a lot of witnesses that say it was true. I have no way of saying whether or not it is. There's no proof of the story. It was the 1900s. Nobody had their smartphone ready to capture the moment. It wasn't trending, so we don't know if it was true or not. But it is interesting. And the story also mentions that, uh, which I do think makes sense and I think applies to Jonah one way or another, is that when they pulled him out after only 15 hours in the whale, his skin was completely bleached and spotted. His hair was completely white. So... He looked, I'm sure he smelled pretty bad. So if Jonah is in the, in the whale for three days, as scripture clearly says that, that Jonah was in the whale for three days, then he would have looked kind of weird. His skin and hair would have been almost, he probably most of his hair would have fallen out. He probably would have bleached white or yellowish skin and would have smelled horrendous. So that's, a theory, and the one that's most common. But there is another theory, besides the fact that Jonah lived three days in the belly of the whale, and the last theory that I'll look at, and that is that, and this is the one that I believe is the most miraculous. If this is what happened, it makes the story even more miraculous than it it already is, and that is that Jonah died. Jonah died when he, he did drown and sunk to the bottom of the sea. And we see this in the imagery of the text of chapter 2. We'll read in a moment. But in verse 1 it says, In the realm of the dead I called for help. And this, uh, this, that sounds quite distinct, but it is an, also an image that we see. For instance, David uses that image. He often uses the image of, be, of uh, praying from Shoal, praying, praying, uh, praying from the place of the dead. And of course we know that David didn't die. He wasn't praying that from the dead. But if we tie that in with five and six, it says, The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. So the Mediterranean Sea is fairly deep. And if he, as it says, sank to the bottom, sank to the roots of the mountains... He couldn't have held his breath long enough to get down that far without dying, which is where this idea that he might have died comes from. So maybe Jonah died, sank to the bottom of the Mediterranean Sea, and then was taken in by the fish and kept there three days and then brought back to life and delivered to shore. Making this story, I think, apart from Jesus, the greatest biblical story of resurrection it's not the only one we see resurrection stories in the old testament so it's just one of the theories 
And it also fits with the image that we see of Christ, of course. As I mentioned, he mentions Jonah in Matthew 12, verse 40. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And we know that what Jesus did, did happen. We believe that, that it's fact, that Jesus did die, was buried, and then rose again. And he uses Jonah as an example. So, just food for thought. No matter where we land on the theories of the book of Jonah, I want to be very clear that I do believe it is a historical Uh, accounting of events. Whether or not Jonah died or lived in the whale or whether it was a whale or a fish isn't really that important for us today. What is important is that we remember this story is put there for a reason and we can learn and grow from it and what it has to say to us today. And we can see that even as a historical event, it does in fact contain a prophetic allegory for what Christ would do hundreds of years later on in his dying for our sins, being buried three days in the ground and rising again. Now Jonah is praying from the belly of a whale or from death, but either way, let's read through his prayer. And as we read, you can kind of look at the image, the imagery that he uses, and come to your own conclusions as far as to what his physical state might have been as he's praying this prayer. So let's read through Jonah chapter 2 together. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, In my distress I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the current swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. Now it's here in the story of Jonah that Jonah has this painful feeling, finally, of what it feels to be separated from God. And knowing that it's what he did that got him there. It's his foolishness, his stubbornness, his running from God that brought him to this low place. And this is the lowest point, I believe, of Jonah's life. And I believe the distress of his situation and the distress we hear in his prayer goes much further and deeper than just the physical aspects of it of being in a fish or being in shoal. Not many of us have had this kind of near-death experience. Maybe some of you have. Or a death experience. Though all of us can say that we have at one point or another felt low in our lives. Felt lonely. Felt distressed. Desperate. Or felt far from God for whatever reason. Especially 
when it might have even been our own doing, our own actions, our own running or walking away or saying no to God that brought us to where we are. And from Jonah's prayer at his lowest point, there are four principles that we're going to unpack today. And these things are, are for us to keep in mind at all times in our lives, but especially at our lowest points. And especially when we have maybe walked away from God or have run from God or disobeyed or said no to God. And the first thing that I want to look at that we see in this text, I believe, is God's discipline toward us. God's discipline toward us is out of his compassion for us. God's discipline toward us is out of his compassion for us. In verse 3 through 6, he gives this kind of the image of being cast into the sea and, and sinking down into the deep. Even the seaweed wrapped around his head. It's, it's very vivid. And we get this feeling of a, of a real situation. There's a realism to what's happening. It's a real man in a real whale. And this is a real prayer from a desperate place and a desperate situation. In verse 3, though, he says, You hurled me into the depths. You hurled me into the depths. Word you meaning God. God, you hurled me into the depths. Jonah is implying that it was God that threw him into the sea. But what does that mean? We know that, wasn't it Jonah that asked to be thrown into the sea? Is he calling God mean? Is he blaming God for his, for his problems? Is he pointing fingers at God. Jonah was at first trying to put himself as far away from God's plan for his life as he could, going in the opposite direction, even unto death. And God saved Jonah's life. And now he's getting him back on track through this experience. And he does it through the storm, right? We know that the text last week, it says that God sent the storm. It was God that sent that storm to Jonah. And he does it through Jonah's being cast overboard. Ultimately, it does come back to God because it said they cast lots. They, they threw dice to decide whose fault it is that the, storm, that the storm had come and the lot fell on Jonah. And finally, it's through the fish that God caused this great fish to swallow Jonah, as the text says. It seems to be a lot of bad luck. It seems like everything's going wrong for him. But this is God's love for Jonah. God's love shown through his discipline toward him. In Proverbs three, eleven through 12, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves. As a father, the son in whom he delights. And the Lord reproves, the Lord disciplines those whom he loves. As a father, the son in whom he delights. God's discipline is something that's talked a lot about in the Bible, but seldom today amongst Christians. When we talk about God's discipline, though, let's be clear in what we're talking about. First, God is not going to discipline you because you didn't read your Bible enough. He's not going to discipline you because you're not good enough, because you're not uh, coming to church enough, because you're not working hard enough, you're not praying enough. 
That's not how God's discipline works. We're right with God. 100% righteous in the sight of God because of what Christ did for us on the cross. By the grace of God, we are saved through faith in Him alone. That cannot change. So God's discipline is something else because we know that this is true, that God does discipline us and He does it to those whom He loves. So it's not about anything anything that we need to earn or, or being good enough. That's not what God's discipline is about. God's discipline is all about His love for us. And what it really comes down to is God's discipline is simply God intervening in our life one way or another. And that can look like all sorts of things. It can look like a storm. It can look like a whale. As we see with Jonah, it can look like a warning in our hearts. It can look like a, just an uneasiness, a lack of peace because we're going the wrong direction. Whatever it might be. But God's discipline is God intervening in our lives and in our situation in order to get us back going the right way. No, you're going the wrong way, Jonah. Here's a storm. Still don't get it? It's a warning in our hearts. And usually it's in the moments that we're at a critical point in our lives when we need discipline the most, when we need to be redirected because we're going the wrong way. And God sees the big picture. He knows what's going on. He knows where we're headed. And he's trying to warn us to get us back in the right direction. In Proverbs, the verse we read in Proverbs 3.12, God is compared to a loving father. And how many dads, if their children was headed for danger, would not want to intervene, to step in and do what they can. Try to use some sort of discipline to prevent that from happening again for their protection, for their good. It's not about control. It's not about being the boss. It's about love. A father's disciplining is always for the child's greater good and for their own protection. And we are God's children and he is our father. So how much more, if we as humans would do this for our children, how much more does God our Father in heaven want what's for our best. How much more does he want to protect us in any way he can? This is why his discipline is always rooted in love and how we can define whether or not God's discipline is God's discipline or maybe something else. God calls Jonah by name. He gives him his purpose. This was what God's best for Jonah was. This is where Jonah would have had peace if he stepped into it. This is where his, the meaning in his life was found. It was God's best for Jonah. But Jonah says no to God and heads off in the other direction. So God sends the storm to get Jonah's attention. God wants to lead him back, lead him back in the right direction. And we said last week, I said it earlier, Jonah could have prayed here. He could have repented. I know where this storm is from. God, I'm sorry. I'll go back. I'll go back. And I believe with all my heart that storm would have stopped instantly. But he didn't. He didn't listen to the storm. And the storm wasn't so that God, God wasn't flexing his muscles. He wasn't trying to show off, to show what he could do. He was trying to save Jonah because it was from his compassion for Jonah. 
But Jonah stubbornly keeps going against God, even admits to the sailors what he's doing. He knows he's running from God. He knows why the storm is there. And it's not until Jonah is in the belly of a whale that he has this breakthrough. Talk about pushing it to the last moment. Finally, he's letting go of his stubbornness, at least to some point or somewhat. So that leads us to our second thing, which is that we can have thankfulness for the discipline of God. We can be thankful for God's discipline. In verse 9, Jonah says, I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. He is thankful. He sees it now. And he's thanking God for the discipline that he experienced. Why? Because it's here that he's finally starting to get it. That God lovingly provided the storm that Jonah chose not to listen to. He sees that even though he ran from God, even unto death, it was God's love, God's discipline that brought the storm and that brought the fish. In the last verse of chapter 2, verse 10, it says, And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. It's not a great way to travel. But the point is, is that God brought him where he needed to be in the end. Why? What was it? Why three days? I, personally, I think Jonah prayed on the third day. Maybe he was, if he was alive in the fish, maybe he was just sitting there with his arms crossed like, I'll die eventually. And like day two, he's like, all right, maybe I could go to Nineveh. Whatever it was, I, I think it was the point when Jonah repented. He finally gave in to God's discipline. He didn't have to go through all that. We can't look at God as the, as, oh, why would God do that? Why, God, why didn't God just tell him? He did tell him. Then he nudged him lightly with the storm. He was just sleeping through that in the bottom of the ship. It was in the belly of a whale on the third day that Jonah was like, I need to repent. I've been wrong. How gracious God is that he would endure us even to that end. That he would put up with us and our rebellion and our disobedience and our saying no to him even to that point. Jonah finally repented and God brought him exactly where he needed to be. And I personally, I envisioned that like the fish spit him up and there was like a street sign, Nineveh, 200 miles this way. It's like, you know where you need to go. I'm making it very clear. It's obviously better to listen to God the first time. But we don't need to fear the Lord's discipline because he's patient with us. He's gracious with us. We're his children, and it's always for our good that he works out his discipline and out of his love that he's trying to just get us back on track. And number three, the other side of Jonah's story is amidst God's discipline, we can miss the big picture. Jonah missed the big picture of what was really going on around him as all of this was going on. We need to remember that God is at work in all things for good. For us, even in the midst of the storm, even in the belly of a whale, 
God can even use these things, the storm, the the discipline, the hardships in our lives for our greater good. We know that. That sounds good. But what we can forget is that he can also use those things for the greater good of others around us. Jonah never thanks God for saving the sailors. But I bet you the sailors were thankful that Jonah was stubborn. They came to know God. They repented. They Chose, they saw God as almighty God through Jonah's stubborn rebellion and through God's discipline for Jonah, the sailors were blessed. God can bless others around us even through our discipline, even through our storms, even through our hardships in life. Jonah so looks at, is always looking at his situation with himself as the center point of what's going on. In reality, God saved the sailors through Jonah's stubbornness. God's discipline on Jonah was their blessing and eventually also for Nineveh. And we can learn in this to be thankful for the gracious God that we serve, that he is big and he has a perfect plan that works all things together for good, not just in our lives, but through our lives and through our situations around us. What might God be doing through his discipline in your life? What might God be doing through a hard time you're facing right now? Not all hardships are are God's discipline. Sometimes we just face hard situations. But we can keep in mind that when we believe that God is working all things for good, we can remember that that might not just be for you, but it might be for somebody close to you. I've experienced in my own life that in the midst of my hard times, when I finally stopped focusing on myself and looked back, or if I came out of it and I looked back, I realized relationships that had formed where I have, I have friends now that are brothers to me because of hard things that I went through and that they were there for me and hard times that they went through and I was able to be there for them. God can use even hard times in our lives for the greater good of those around us. So be careful in the midst of the things you're dealing with and you're struggling with to not be so focused on what's happening to you that you miss what God might be trying to do through you in the midst of that. Number four, and kind of in closing, I want to leave with an encouragement that I find in this text. The thing that just kind of brings hope to my heart And that is that God is seeking after you. God is seeking after you even when you run. Even death could not stop God's will for Jonah's life. Even death could not stop God's will for his life. So you may have given up on yourself. You may have given up on your situation or seeing clearly through everything that's going on or maybe you're about to. But God is still at work in your life. And he's at work in your life for his glory, for your good, and for the good of those around you. And he's doing it out of his love and by his great grace. Jesus also seeks after us. Matthew 18, 12 through 14. What do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the ninety-nine on the hills and go to look for the one that wandered off. And if he finds it, truly I tell you, he is happier about the one, that one sheep 
than about the 99 that did not wander off. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. We are God's children today. And though we wander off, though we make mistakes, though we miss God when we're looking for Him, and though we sometimes avoid God when He's looking for us, He does not give up. He seeks us out to the bitter end. No matter how stubborn or hard-hearted we try to be, he seeks us out to the very end. Jonah is at the bottom of his life, I would say. I don't know how, what all he went through before this, but I cannot imagine anything as bad as spending three days in a fish. He's at his lowest, and he says, I called to you out of my distress, and you answered. You listened to my cry. You heard me. Finally, he cried out, Took a while, took a lot of God's discipline, a lot of God's directing, some miracles. But finally, Jonah cried out to God and, wow, surprise, God was right there listening for it the whole time. And this is a hope that we can apply to our lives today and hold on to because this means that it doesn't matter how low you feel you are today. It doesn't matter how dark life seems to be. We can always cry out to God and he's always there, always waiting. Never feel that you're too far from God, too far away for him to hear you. The truth is he is always there and even in the belly of a whale, we can cry out to God and he hears us. So in conclusion, the moral here is that God's discipline is out of his great love for us, out of his compassion. So whether we choose to listen to God the first time or to listen to God when he tries to get our attention and to nudge us, to redirect us with a storm in our lives maybe, or if we have to be swallowed up by a whale first and spend a few days basking in its inner fluids to get to the point where we get it and we come to God, that's up to us. That's our decision. My advice, don't wait for the fish. Work on just listening to God the first time. To simply know him and to listen to what he has to say. But how do I do that? How do I know? Well, first, take time to spend with him. Read his word. Get to know him. Get to know his character. And you'll see, as Jonah says in chapter 4 that we read last week, You are a God that's slow to anger, compassionate, loving, gracious. That's the God that we serve. And when you get to know him better, you'll hear his voice more clearly in your life. And if you don't know what God is telling you to do and you're panicking, don't run away. Pray. Pray to God. Pray with others. There's power in that. But don't run, pray, spend time with him. And remember that we have to be patient too. Because Jonah, we see the, the story of Jonah start off with God's call, but maybe you're not to that point yet. And there is some times where we have times of waiting. God's timing is better than yours. No matter what you think you're supposed to do right now in your life, God knows what he's doing better than you do. And be patient when seeking God's will for your life. And no matter how low you feel in a situation, You can always call on him, even if it's your fault or even if it's just 
a chance of circumstances that you've ended up in a bad situation, cry out to him either way. Today we saw God answer Jonah when he really deserved to be in that whale. And so how much more us today will God be gracious with us? God will hear us when we cry to him. I want to invite the band to come back up. Let's stand together and just sing one last song in worship and praise of our gracious, loving, compassionate God that we have.